Welcome to a brand new episode of Reliability It Matters. Over the past few years, a lot of organizations have started implementing Internet of Things or IoT 4.0 and with varying degrees of success. As a reliability engineer, we talk about different maintenance approaches such as condition-based maintenance and something that's gaining a lot of traction has been predictive maintenance and adding a layer of data which assists us in making those decisions. Now, Internet of Things encompasses both the elements and I wanted to learn a bit more about that. I thought it would be a great idea to speak with someone who is an expert in this field and that's why I'd like to welcome Sunil Vedula. He is the CEO and founder of NanoPrecise. Welcome to the podcast, Sunil. Now, the first question that I like to ask all my guests, now your background's in mechanical engineering. So what got you into the field of reliability engineering? Thank you, uh, Akshay, for having me on this podcast. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm a a mechanical engineer by background. And uh, even before engineering, I I liked uh, physics and maths, you know, especially like a stress strain and mechanics of solids and all that. So that is my like true engineering and science background, which I really liked. But I mean, what really struck me is that, you know, we are all surrounded by assets and, you know, as you know, assets are, you know, they, they, they're not, uh, they're good at certain point. And over time, if we don't monitor them, their reliability or they are, they don't are, same they don't have the same level of reliability as they have yesterday right so yeah. this is a big challenge and, and this creates kind of uh un- unpleasant surprises and increases everyone's blood pressure right and especially i am very you know uh, like not okay to deal with those kind of blood pressure and sudden unpleasant surprises so it naturally came to me that uh you know like in, in reliability engineering what, what i learned after my, you know, mechanical engineering is that in reliability engineering, you basically make a repair or a replace decision for, for a, uh, any kind of machinery. And that, 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 that decision to say that it is very easy, but to really make sure you're making a right decision needs a lot of, uh, you know, ana- analytics and, and need to have data. And that's what I really loved about this field, reliability engineering, the, the amount of data analytics that you need to do and and research that you need to do to basically make sure that you're taking the right decision to make sure your the equipments are reliable right uh, which in turn does not give you unpleasant surprises is what really propelled me uh, to come into this field of reliability engineering now that's amazing what i observed was that what our maintainers quite often say, oh, I think, you know, that, that's my gut feeling that we should replace this because it doesn't sound right. Reliability engineering uh, allows us to uh, approach that, I guess, gut feel into a more logical way. And we can, with certain confidence and certainty, say, yep, you know what, your decision's right. Now, that's, that's a fantastic point. Following on from that, why did you start NanoPrecise? Um, and yeah, that that ties into this. Like uh, I was, I was an engineer, uh, mechanical cum reliability engineer in in a typical oil and gas, uh, you know, refinery and you know, mining, uh, you know, plant, uh, like a chemical plant. And like w- what I realized is that uh, I was doing my job, but I was missing that innovation aspect and and the fact that you know 
uh, we were still having unplanned downtimes and I was, uh, you know, really not able to, uh, you know, come up with, uh, you know, kind of technology that automates and, uh, you know, the, the reliability aspect and, and provides uh, much more, you know, um, uh, much more sophisticated tool to deal with it to basically ultimately avoid unplanned downtime and while, while keeping the equipments efficient uh, whenever uh, during their uptime is what really uh, propelled me that I must do something about it. And uh, more importantly, like I, as I mentioned to you, my, my interest in mechanics of solids and strength of materials, like and uh, in, in material science, I, I believe that every failure in every material, right, especially, uh, you know, if it is a uh, like a isotropic material like a stainless steel or metal or something like that, you can track every, you know, a failure if you have a right tool and, uh, you know, uh, notify the notify the end user at the right time. Right. And uh, you just need the, the right technology and, and data analytics and overall put it as a package. And that was missing. And that's what I thought that using that uh, my, my, you know, passion towards material science and, um, you know, like my, my uh, I, I gathered a lot of skill set about IoT and, uh, you know, data analytics um, I have always been good in maths or maybe I would say uh, more interested in maths and physics. So using all of that, I was able to gain the skill sets that I didn't have, but uh, the passion that I had about material science and able to predict failures in advance on, on machinery is what propelled me to start NanoPrecise in the first place. No, it's, I think it's amazing that you've actually gone ahead and, and followed your passion and, and done this. Because there's a lot of uh, there, there was I think a huge gap um, in in I suppose in that realm where everyone was just reliant on uh, physical inspections or doing actual uh, condition monitoring checks your techniques such as vibration analysis and oil sampling so you've gone ahead and tried to automate uh, that process and uh, made it much more efficient. Now, the common man's, I suppose, understanding of what IoT 4.0 or Internet of Things 4.0 can be quite different, right? So when I was first introduced to this, my idea of IoT 4.0 was you take a bunch of sensors, you put it on an asset, and that's it. Now, can you, for our listeners, uh, add a bit more meat on the bones to perhaps give a bit more uh, understanding of what exactly it is IoT 4.0? Yes, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, that's a great question, actually. And, and uh, you know, uh, much easier, much easier to think about, but uh, difficult to put it in words. Uh, but I would I would not go for a standard cookie cut definition that is available in Wikipedia. I would try to add what what I felt from my experience, what is IOT is see, we are we are basically you know, when we talk about machinery, especially rotating equipments and all that, uh, you know, in, in industry, <clears throat> we are, you know, try, like these assets are continuously running. They're generating, uh, I mean, uh, you know, they will keep generating data if you have a data generating uh, mechanism. Now you need uh, some mechanism to keep on uh, analyzing the data and you can't analyze the data, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, one data point at a time. You need to analyze the data from 
that 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 asset has emitted from the time t is equal to zero to t is equal to uh, one second to time t is equal to n n second, right? So it it what it really means is that first you need an internet connection, so because and you need uh, you know malleable malleable kind of uh, repository like a like a cloud, and uh, so that your your data will keep on increasing and the the, the cloud is uh, the, the algorithm that you have on the cloud is able to analyze the data to provide uh, good analytics because uh, the only way you can have good analytics is when you analyze the data of from that uh, asset from very beginning of that asset till the time t right and and that's what uh, according to me industry uh, 4.0 is all about and you know uh, on top of that how you basically make uh, you know, use of the uh, insights. What what insights are you creating from from that system? Uh, you know, there are uh, like every every machinery you talk about. There are two major aspects. One, to find out if there is something going wrong in this asset, and the second, is it uh, is this asset uh, running efficiently? Right, like just just like your, your simply your your car. You know, you want to uh, like uh, find out when you need the next oil change. And the second is whether you're running in the econ mode or not, right? As, as yeah. simple as that. So if uh, like we need uh, the data, the connection to the internet and, you know, uh, like a, a malleable system that grows, uh, adjusts with the growing data over the time for that asset. This whole system is what I would say is called, uh, you know, industry 4.0. Right. Okay. So it's not just a bunch of sensors and off you go. That's not IoT 4.0. Okay. So just following on from that. Now, can any organization implement it? Or by the sounds of it, the organization has to attain a certain level of maturity. As you said, there's cloud that has, you need to have good data. Uh, you need to have cloud storage. You need to have, um, your organization needs to be set up in a manner where you can actually utilize the information that's coming from these sensors and you're able to uh, make sense of the data that's that's coming out is that correct uh that is that is correct uh, but i would i would modify that uh, a little bit that you know these days you have tools with the the vendors uh, you know the technology providers that uh, they can enable uh, IIoT 4.0 for any kind of organization uh, that does not even have, you know, uh, even even a uh, any even a single computer, right? So all all they need to have is the asset like motor, and as long as you know which asset to be monitored, uh, you know, uh, Industry 4.0 can be, for example, like uh, the the sensors are coming with, you know, cellular eSIM based sensors that run uh, that like uh, work in almost you know uh, like our our uh, sensors work in almost 185 countries uh, with 376 telecom operators uh, you just switch on the sensor it connects to the uh, local internet right local uh, cellular provider uh, and you don't even need to put a sim card because it's a eSIM which works with any of these it's like a global sim card right uh, yeah. uh, similarly like you don't even need to worry about uh, storing the data because the the technology provider is able to you know uh, like with the help of cloud uh, they're able to host as much amount of data and the insights are available to you you can download it 
to your local, like uh, through API, you can download it to your local uh, computer on your site, right? So really, uh, I would say, you know, IoT 4.0 is beyond the hype train. It's in, it's a, it's a real thing now, uh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, but, but I would focus more on what are we trying to achieve with that 4.0 is like there are many things that people want to achieve, but I would say that uh, the real goals that are, uh, I mean, the uh, material goals uh, that have been achieved with Industry 4.0 that are beyond that hype cycle are predictive maintenance and efficiency monitoring. Uh, And honestly, in in this age, uh, you know, uh, we don't expect customer to have anything like we we are ready for basically most uh, many IoT 4.0 technologies are ready for customers who are not even set up for it. They, we don't you don't need to be set up for it in any ways as long as uh, you know you know that your technology provider is having uh, you know appropriate cybersecurity uh, credentials so that the data is safe and you know they have uh, proper you know. Uh, hazardous area certification so that the device does not produce any spark, you know, which can be pretty hazardous, like, uh, you know, catastrophic for a manufacturing plant. So as long as the sensors and software and overall the data pipeline is has credentials that everything is safe, uh, these these days the technologies enable uh, the customer uh, customer without them expecting them to have even set up for it. That's amazing. I always was under the impression that you need to have a far more mature organization. Your CMMS has to be set up in a certain way where, you know, the fault codes and everything has been identified and the data that is coming from these sensors, uh, I I suppose, gets automatically categorized in what the fault is. And then you're able to build this database and you're able to perform whatever viable analysis if you have to. So none of that is, is actually required. You can just put on a sensor. And as long as you know what you're wanting to measure and you can just run with it and get the full benefits out, out of this technology. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you hit it at the right point. Uh, some basic details are still required, which every customer is expected to have it because, for example, like a basic information about the equipment, uh, whether it is a a uh, constant speed machine or a uh, you know cha- changing speed machine like a varying speed machine and uh, or or let's say what's the gear ratio or the bearing number right very basic yeah. uh, information which is available even on the motor spec or the machine spec and then you added another great point that cmms system that uh, you know like through api uh, like uh, you know programming that we we have uh, you know, uh, like integrated with uh, systems like Fix and IBM Maximo. So you know, it's it's really straightforward these days to to basically uh, you know um, like integrate with those kind of CMMS system. But where you know, definitely the customer's um, maturity is required, uh, whatever bit uh, is needed, is. Uh, you know the the like uh, the, the change management aspect like uh, you know uh, to 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 uh, realize that whatever you're doing is there is an improve uh, it can be improved and these technologies are the way to improve it and uh, you know the way you can feed the rules in the same system so that based on the insight it automatically creates a, a work order you know so uh, like the, the, the 
basically it's the mindset um, that needs to, the customers need to be set up for. I mean, the, the, the fact that, you know, the, the change is the only constant thing and we need to improve whatever we are doing. Status quo is not the best thing. That's what they need to be set up for to take change, to be able to change their mindset, right? To be able to take risk and uh, towards the improvement. Yes, sometimes it might fail. You 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 take a step forward and then you know get two steps back. But as long as you know you you know that you're taking the steps in the right direction, uh, you know you should continue doing that. And uh, that that's I would say it's really the mindset that that they need to uh, change. Uh, you know, uh, apart from that, everything else. You know, these days there are tools for everything else. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer. As I say, culture eats a strategy for breakfast. So as long yeah. as the culture is evolving and people are willing to accept that there is a change and that change is required, uh, any a new technology that will come in will eventually be a success. Indeed. While I was speaking to you earlier, you had mentioned something called as a sense, sensing modality. Now, I know that the sensors are capable of measuring different things. Now, prior to speaking with you, I always thought that there's one sensor will only measure one thing. So for instance, it'll just measure the vibration. Uh, what else are these sensors capable of measuring? Uh, so if you if you talk about, uh, you know, uh, our sensors, so uh, I will first uh, talk about our sensors and then I'll, I'll, I can, I can you know, answer in general what kind of sensing modalities are needed for, for what, right? Like, so our sensors, because we focus on, the predictive or prescriptive maintenance of rotating equipment. Uh, see, uh, you know, every every motor, you know, you can you can uh, like uh, uh, monitor many things in that. Like, you can monitor, uh, you know, pressure. Like, if you have a simple motor and a pump assembly, you can monitor, you know, pressure, temperature, flow rate, uh, you know, of in, input uh, suction and input. Uh, suction and output, you know, and and you can also monitor things like, you know, vibration, acoustic, surface temperature, oil, you know, a current, uh, all of those things. Now, <clears throat> uh, what do we want to achieve is what determines, you know, what kind of sensing modalities you want in a sensor. Like ours, <clears throat> we are trying to predict when, you know, there is something going wrong with the machine. And what is that? Uh, fault, you know, what kind of fault it is. Is it a shaft fault, bearing fault, you know, uh, or, or, or a, you know, uh, gear fault, right? So for that, you know, you measure the system response parameters. So what are system response parameters are things like, you know, vibration, because like your, your system is responding to the process parameters, which are pressure, temperature, flow rate. So the way it vibrates is its response to that, uh, process parameter of uh, you know certain density of fluid going inside it and you know certain at, at a certain pressure temperature or flow rate so what what at what vibration it is vibrating and how much sound it is making how much uh, hot it is becoming and uh, how much hot its skin is becoming and you know how much magnetic flux it, the motor is emitting how much load is there on the motor right so these system response parameters are what you need to monitor uh, to basically enable predictive maintenance and the important fact is that you need to have you can't have just 
uh, vibration or temperature and try to understand everything about, right? Like, because vibration can only do uh, certain things in the same way acoustic can only do certain things. Uh, like, just like the five senses we have in our body, right? We can't do everything with our eyes. We need our ears and we need uh, other senses. In the same way, you need all those system response parameters or at least uh, as much as possible to, uh, uh, you know, especially if you look at the PF curve. So there are, uh, you know, uh, like uh, the PF curve clearly tells uh, which technology is uh, providing more earlier, you know, indication of a incipient or a later fault. So it's it's good to have all those technologies that you have in the the PF curve in a single sensor, ideally, uh, so that you can understand what is going on with the whole system, right? And um, that's what uh, I I mean by you know sensing modalities. It all comes down to what is what are the objectives you're trying to achieve. Uh, now, at the same time, there are basically other sensors. Like you have other objectives, like uh, you know, uh, for for something like a valve, right? It's pressure suction valve. You want to understand whether it is leaking, right? For that, uh, you can do it with uh, vibration or maybe pressure. You know, temp- uh, data. You don't need a temperature sensor for that, or you don't need a vibration sensor for that. So, uh, so things. So in that way. Uh, it really depends on what is the objective and what kind of equipment it is. Um, based on that, uh, you know, you you basically uh, determine how many sensing modalities are uh, good enough for me because you never, uh, you know, just like uh, we never, you know, uh, depend on just uh, unless, you know, we are only left with that senses, but uh, we never depend on just one of our senses. We always try to, Use all of our senses to take stock of the situation. In the same way, you know, if you if you have a specific problem uh, and you know that you can detect it with vibration, you can detect it with acoustic, you can detect it with temperature. You want to have all three of them in a single sensor because uh, uh, you know the more sensing modalities you have, the more is your ability to reject the false positives. Right? As simple because it's very natural that every sensor uh, can send false positives and the whole job of analytics is to reduce those false positives because and false positives and false negative because the moment you have high false positives uh, the trust in the technology gets killed right away absolutely i think the more i've, I've heard of this instance so many times where the, the alarms for instance have just been going off in a facility and people they know that it's a it's the alarm is either faulty or is just uh, a useless alarm people just get so attuned to that the fact that it's a useless alarm they'll just go even if it's an actual alarm for a, a valid reason they'll just go nah it's a waste no need to uh, explore what that is and that happens so often and it's unfortunate that it does happen now so the way i understand this is the more sensing modality in a sensor the more failure modes that you'll be able to detect and identify that are occurring uh, in a particular asset correct Exactly. Right. Okay. Now, uh, from your perspective, what are some of the challenges that you have come across when when trying to or when trying to convince people to use IoT four point or using predictive maintenance? What has what has have been some of the the challenges and constraints that you've come across? 
Yeah, a great question. So uh, some of the challenges, uh, you know, uh, I think some of the challenges they want to mention and some of the challenges they don't want to mention and phrase it in a different form, right? So one obvious uh, challenge is that like almost all maintenance managers, you know, or, or who have not, uh, you know, incorporated these uh, think that, you know, this is going to completely change and disrupt uh, some of the jobs, uh, you know, uh, that they have, right? And and this basically happens more in the, uh, you know, uh, people at the, the, you know, plant floor level. They feel the technology is kind of uh, taking their job away. But honestly, uh, it is only creating more jobs if we look at it carefully right if we if we implement it carefully because and 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 the point is what what it is doing is it is disrupting repetitive jobs and uh you know uh, creating jobs in a more useful manner and all all the management needs to do is train those people who are doing those repetitive jobs for uh, with better skills to do something, uh, you know, uh, more meaningful and better, right? And uh, in the same way, other things that the uh, issues that people bring is that what about data security, right? A uh, lot of people, you know, uh, what we see is confuse the data that we take uh, and and you know uh, with the health data or personal data, right? Like if I take your blood blood report data and uh, you know, I, I don't, sh- uh, you know, keep it properly or somebody hacks into my system and, and basically distributes it everywhere. That is what you need to be careful about because you don't want your medical data to be going outside. That's why you have the GDPR, you know, um, guidelines on that, right? Very strict GDPR guidelines. But, you know, you when you talk about machinery vibration data or acoustic data or, or temperature or, uh, you know, magnetic flux data, you know, even if somebody, even even if somebody gets hold of it, right? What, like, what are they trying to uh, uh, going to do? I mean, we are not even controlling the motors, right? We are just trying to monitor and provide the insights. We are not, uh, you know, feeding it back into a closed loop system and trying to, you know, reduce the speed of the motor or reduce the load or something like that. We are not doing that. We are analyzing it, providing insights to the customer the at max what you can uh, you know get is a false positive right and for false negative we basically kind of have a and, and even for that we do have a really sophisticated you know uh, uh, cybersecurity credential and that's what the the customers need to do uh, is their homework and uh, you know uh, also talk to different uh, technology providers to see what cybersecurity credentials they have. Apart from that, we also get a lot of uh, customers, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, like uh, having a doubt that uh, what about, you know, if this, as, as you rightly pointed out, like that the false positive and the false negative, right? The Nothing kills these technologies faster than uh, false positives, high false positive and false negative rate, right? And that is, that is actually uh, the problem in the industry that, few bad pilots um you know there there are, there are much fewer great pilots and great uh, you know scale ups than the list of bad pilots and what what that makes is and that's why 
Cisco study has said that 75% of IoT projects have failed because, you know, why, why that happens is uh, too many times people consider it as more of an IT project rather than a, you know, a condition monitoring, proper condition monitoring project, right? And, and, uh, you know, and, and that, is, that is not how it should be dealt with, yeah. No, absolutely. Now that's some great um, insight from, from you as an expert in the field. Now, I suppose before we wrap up this episode, do you have any suggestions or uh, golden nuggets of uh, pieces of information for our listeners, people wanting to get into the field of reliability engineering and predictive maintenance? Yeah, I think uh, one of the main, uh, you know, uh, thing that I would suggest is be true to the physics of your machine, uh, of your machinery, right? Or whatever asset you're trying to monitor or whatever problem you're trying to solve. First, really focus on the problem. What is the problem at hand? And make sure that, you know, sometimes we we drill down the problem too much or sometimes we, you know, make it too macro level that I want to, I want to make a digital twin of my, my asset. Why? Why do you need a digital twin for this small pump, 50 horsepower pump? Why, why do you need it, right? So uh, you need to basically make sure that you uh, frame the problem first. And framing the problem uh, means you need to understand whether it is viable and whether it is feasible and, uh, you know, uh, is it really needed, right? So there are multiple aspects to really understand how to frame a problem. And once you have framed a problem and then understand to, to, to solve this problem, what all do I need? Definitely for any predictive maintenance uh, on any machinery in, in industry, you need data, right? And so you need to understand uh, what kind of data do I need? What is the frequency with which uh, the data do I need? Whether I need a waveform kind of data or high resolution data, or I'm okay with the data every, every few minutes, one data point, one data sample every few minutes, right? So all of these details are to be considered and what sensing modalities do I need? All of these, uh, and then when, once you decided that what kind of uh, communication technologies will be okay for me to, to send these kind of data, right? So the all of these things are really necessary and, and they have to be thought in a very sequential manner uh, to come to a proper RFP. And then the users can basically invite vendors, you know, and um, you know, I, I I see that this whole process is done in a very haphazard way. That uh, you know, the users invite some vendors, you know, because they they are pushing their solution without even you know realizing what problem they're really or uh, frame uh, they're trying to solve. You know, without even framing the problem first, and then you know, it, it's it's really uh, done in a very haphazard way. Uh, while it should be done in a in a very sequential manner, and then uh, framing a proper RFP that is good for you, and then and then inviting the vendors to bid on it, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. No, that has that's that's been amazing. Uh, it's it's been really insightful. Thank you so much, Sunil. I think our listeners uh, will take a lot out of this conversation, and so have I. I never knew that there was so much more to IoT 4.0. Uh, I really appreciate your time, uh, your patience uh, in, in sharing your experience and your uh, thoughts about what IoT is. 
uh, I would definitely love to have you on again on the podcast. And if people do want to get in touch with you uh, about anything or if they want to learn more, well, where what is the best place for them to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, just uh, feel free to write us at solutions at nanoprecise.io. Please go to our website, uh, www.nanoprecise.io. And, uh, you know, you can just fill the form and it, it comes to solutions at nanoprecise.io and I have access to it. So uh, more than happy to answer any of your queries. Our, our you know, passion and, and objective here is to help the world uh, to make a little bit more reliable and avoid any unpleasant surprises while making sure we are also contributing to green planet uh, by making, uh, you know, equipments run efficiently uh, as long as they're in uptime, you know, so uh, yeah. that, that's our uh, objective and we would love to help uh, uh, towards that and it doesn't have to be a sales order. I, I, I always love to, you know, uh, you know, spend my extra time without any expectation of, uh, you know, any, any sales from the user. So because it's just my passion to help people. So please feel free to reach out at solutions, uh, nano, uh, you know, solutions at nanoprecise.io. Thank you so much, uh, Sunil. Now, don't worry. I'll add the links in the description as well when I upload the podcast. It has been a pleasure again. Thank you so much, Sunil. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Have a wonderful day, Sunil. Thank you, Akshay.